Hello and welcome to Bendy and Strong episode nine. This podcast is all about strength training for people with hypermobility and Ella's Danlos. And today we are going to be talking about why stretching is not the answer for people with hypermobility and why we need an alternative to stretching because it's not working for our rehab. So I've got a special guest host here. This is Shant. He's my rehab guy. You've probably heard of him if you've watched any of my stuff. Um, and we're going to get stuck into it in a second. Just before we do a quick disclaimer, this is not medical advice. We are just sharing our opinions and thoughts, uh, and you need to consult relevant people before you take any of this on board. Anyway, so the topic of today's podcast is one that we're both very passionate about, which is stretching is not the answer for people with hypermobility. And I guess a bit of backstory for me, I stopped doing a lot of stretching about probably over 10 years now as a competitive powerlifter. I used to always spend the start of my sessions rolling around on the floor, hockey ball in whatever type muscles I had, doing my stretches. And then I actually started working with this physio who had read an article about Marfan syndrome and how Marfan's and Ella's Danlos were similar. And he said, oh, I've been told by this article that I read, not by my physio degree, but by this article that I've read, that people with Ehlers-Danlos shouldn't, that, that stretching isn't the best approach for them that we need to strengthen and stabilize. So this was quite a while ago, but still, um, you know, at that time, there should have been more information out about this. But anyway, um, when I stopped stretching, I, I was scared to, because I thought that it was going to, you know, it's kind of like this safety blanket. Everyone does it to prevent injuries. And then I stopped and nothing bad happened. And then good things happened. And then I started strengthening and stabilizing instead. And that has now become like a lifeblood for me. It's allowed me to keep training. It's allowed me to do things pain-free. So I have personal experience with this and I've got a bit of knowledge, but Sean's got way more knowledge. So I got him on for this and we're going to talk about this. So. Um, I guess let's start off with the question for you, Shant, which is why is stretching not the answer? Like if, if, if this experience that I've had is reflective of your clinical experience that you've had with hypermobile people, and by the way, I send a lot of my hypermobile people to Shant, so he's had a lot of experience with it, um, is, is my experience reflective of that and why might be the case? Yes, I couldn't agree more about stretching is not the answer. So before we get into stretching not the answer, let's discuss what actually is stretching or what is perceived as stretching. Mm -hmm. So in many cases, what we refer to as stretching is static stretching, right? So you pretty much hold a joint at its longest angle, meaning your hamstring, you want to stretch the leg as long as you can, thinking that you are stretching the muscle. Spending so many years um, in surgery rooms and cadaver labs, it's almost impossible to stretch a muscle. A muscle is incredibly resilient. It's encased in this thing called fascia, which is tougher than Kevlar. Imagine trying to stretch it. Yes, you can change the shape of it, which can feel like you're stretching it or you're lengthening it. That's the whole point of it. Mm. You're not exactly stretching the muscle. What you probably end up stretching is your connective tissue and the muscle tendon junction. And that's a very dangerous thing to do, and I'll get to that in a minute. 
the other thing that happens when you're stretching, we have all these sensors in the connective tissue or near the connective tissue and in the muscle that measures length, tension, even stretch. So when you're stretching, it's almost like you're irritating those senses. So the response is shut down those senses. So for a very short amount of time, so most people will say they feel really good for 15, 20 minutes after stretching. So for the short amount of time, those sensory feedback or those information going back to the brain is inhibited and so on. So now the muscles, they're in a bit of a dormant state so that it feels like you have lengthened the muscle. All you have done is inhibited things. Mm -hmm. Again, another dangerous practice, especially for Ellis-Danlos and hypermobility. So we feel like something is tight, so we need to stretch it. So stretching itself, you're not stretching the muscle. You are either inhibiting the muscle or, and when I say inhibiting, I'm not talking about inhibiting switching it off. It's just you're reducing the potential of that muscle. And the feedback. And the feedback mechanism, right? So think about it's a, the radio volume dial. You're turning it up and down. It's, mm -hmm. it's never going to go zero. It's never going to go 100 or close to 100. You're kind of dialing it down. Mm -hmm. Now, the connective tissue, why is it dangerous? When it comes to hypermobility, when it comes to Ehlers-Danlos syndrome especially, you have a lot of laxity within the joint because the connective tissue which are made of collagen, they are very, very elastic. Their properties are very elastic, which is like very bendy, mm -hmm. right? Interestingly, that's your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So that means the joint themselves, they're, they're unstable anyway. Now, taking some more stability away from that joint by pulling on this negative tissue, you're further reducing the stability of those joints. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you're reducing the potential of those muscles. That means the muscles are not producing the right amount of force to create further stability. And that's happening in a short amount of time, but injuries only take a very small amount of time. It can happen. And it's also the tradition of stretching before you train Correct. as well. That, 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 you know, that's that short amount of time, but maybe that's your yeah. training window. And surprisingly, just like you, every single, not even just hypermobile, people with other injuries as well, as soon as they stop them from stretching and come up with the right strength protocol, they start to get better. Things mm. start to get better. So the concept is something is tight, so I need to stretch it to fix it. Human body is extremely resilient. The human brain is always in an adaptive state to protect the body. Mm -hmm. So when you have a lot of laxity within the joint, what's happening is your I'm going to use, use very simplified terms, right? So because this is we're just using this as a discussion for everyone to understand and spread the message. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to use the term brain really loose. Mm -hmm. So when you have a joint that is lax, in some cases very lax. There's a lot of instability. The brain wants to stabilize that muscle. Mm -hmm. The most effective way the brain can stabilize the muscle by shortening the joint. So, an example, if my bicep feels, or my elbow feels very loose, people try to contract the biceps to shorten it. In the same way, it happens to many other joints. So, it's your brain's adaptive mechanism to protect the body 
from any other future injuries. So it's trying to tighten things up or shorten things to protect it, which we feel like it's tight. And you said in another discussion that we're having that that tends to be the flexor muscles. Is that correct? correct? So generally, so the, the technical term is orogenic or arthrogenic neuromuscular inhibition. What it means, when there's a perceived injury or trauma, and it's very subjective what the brain thinks what a, what a perceived injury or trauma is. In some cases, excessive laxity can be perceived as an injury mm-hmm. to the brain. So it will try to shorten that angle. It's almost like it's creating a natural splint. Right? So think about when you dislocate your shoulder or you injure your elbow. What's the first thing you do? You shorten everything. Mm-hmm. You kind of tuck everything in. That's pretty much what it's trying to do. So it's shortening those muscles in a state where it's holding things together. Mm-hmm. That's what it believes is happening. That is a good thing because that means your brain is finding solutions in certain muscle groups trying to protect that joint. And who knows what would happen with extreme cases of hypermobility if those muscles weren't tight. Correct. So because that is your answer, that is your solution, we don't want to punish it by pulling it and beating it up and doing dry needling and all that, mm-hmm. that stuff. That strength is already there. We're not going to take that strength away. We're going to look for what else is not working who else is not coming Mm. to the party that i need to bring to the party to make the whole thing stable not just one side of it Mm -hmm. so an example that i've learned um that i find it very very effective think about you have a factory we have three people one person works really really hard he does all the work the other two always taking two hour long breaks always at the beach having a smoke and a beer they're never showing up who is going to complain the ones who are having long breaks or the one that is doing all the hard work. Mm-hmm. The ones that are doing all the hard work is the one that's going to complain. Right? It be that's... sore and tired sore and, and cranky. Tired and, and yeah. Let's call it tight. Yeah. However, think about the factory manager. He knows who's the hardest worker in the factory. So whenever there's a task, the factory manager is always going to go to that person to do the task. Yeah. He's not going to trust those other two. What we need to do, not to punish the guy that is doing all the work, we need to make sure the other two that are out there, not contributing, bring them back Mm -hmm. and strengthening them. And make them more reliable. And then make them more reliable, make them contributing. So we're not reducing the strength of profile by stretching or massaging or pulling it. We are increasing the total strength profile and Mm -hmm. making the joint even more stable and strong and safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think for anyone who, like, if, if you're not following, like, with the, or, or if you're a coach who is not hypermobile, who is listening to this, wanting to know how to work with hypermobile people, there's this almost, it feels ironic uh, that people with hypermobility tend to have tight muscles. It's not ironic because hypermobility refers to laxity of the connective tissue. And as we've discussed, this quote unquote tight muscles is is the muscle itself that tends to tighten up. And, and there are some common patterns that we see with people with hypermobility of certain muscles that they complain about feeling tight or feeling sore or referring pain because they're really angry. Um, and these muscles, the standard approach is usually from every physio I've seen up until the point of that physio that I mentioned about 10 years ago who I saw. And that was the physio that I saw before I started seeing Andrew and, and you. Um, the, the approach that most physios have given me is to stretch those quote-unquote tight muscles. And what Shant's saying is that is the muscle that is tightening to stabilize and protect the joint. And 
not like on, on one side, it could be potentially putting us at risk of harm by doing that. But if we, even if we take that out of the equation, it's not helping. Yeah. It's not doing anything to help. And instead of that, we need to do uh, strengthen and stabilizing the surrounding muscles. So how do we approach when it comes to strengthening and stabling the, uh, stabilizing the surrounding muscles? I'm thinking both for, like I said, the coaches listening to this, but also I've got a lot of followers with Ellis Danlos who maybe can't afford to see a physio or aren't working with someone, or maybe they just want to wrap their head around this before they see a physio so that they can tell if the physio is doing the right thing or not. But how, in terms of this strengthening and stabilizing the surrounding muscles, what, where do we start? What does that look like? I think the first starting point is we need to accept that what we perceive as tight muscle is not that. It's completely okay if you're feeling certain muscles are tight. I would go as far as saying see it as a good thing. That means your brain is doing a very good job in finding solutions with what it has. So take that thought away. I have something is tight and I need to fix it. There's nothing that needs to be fixed with what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Your brain is already ahead in the, the task of protecting. Mm -hmm. So the next part would be understanding what is not working, what is weak. So let's use, I use bicep as an example. So let's go back to the bicep. More than likely, if the bicep is working really, really hard, that means my tricep, which is this muscle here doing this function. It's the antagonist, the opposing the muscle. The opposing muscle is probably needing some strength right now. Mm -hmm. Meaning, this is strong in this direction. I need to make sure this direction is strong as well. Yeah. So that means I have a force distribution equilibrium at the joint, both producing equal amount of force in both directions or equal-ish amount mm -hmm. of force in both directions to stabilize this joint. So I don't constantly have to be in this tight posture. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So that's a very simplified starting point. And as simple as it may sound, it's actually a very effective approach. Right? So think about with your recent injury, we had to do a lot of glute extension dominant mm -hmm. work because flexion or bending forward was causing you a problem and you had very, very tight hip flexes. Yes. So meaning hip flexes, meaning bending of the hips. So think about this is my hips. This is the hip flexors. They're mm -hmm. doing this job. The extensors, such as your glutes, they were very weak. So we are strengthening it. And all of a sudden, you go back to doing that with some sports. Yeah. So that was going to be my next question because the example of the elbow, I feel like it's almost a, a bit more straightforward than some other examples we could give because the elbow is the hinge joint. Yeah. When it comes to, like, let's say the hip, we, we said the hip flexors are tight, so we're then we're working the hip extensors. But... You know, I, I know for a lot of a lot of things, the cure is strengthen your glutes for a lot of things. But mm. um, in terms of do we look at muscle? Do we say, oh, well, I know that this muscle technically is a, as an antagonist to this muscle, so therefore we do that? Or do we take more of a movement approach? So I would say have a bit of a movement approach, but have a bit of an underlying understanding of what muscles are contributing to the movement, mm -hmm. right? So they're both equally important. Mm -hmm. If we just go with the movement, so this is, I'm going to go um, take a little bit of a sidestep to what we're discussing. When it comes to Alice Downloss and hypermobile people or community, I would say there's a little bit of a proprioceptive feedback lack, meaning your sensory feedback, your, your body's position and, you know, where it is, how long and how hard things are working, 
it's a little bit less than non-hypermobile and non-EDS population. So it's important to understand what the muscles are, what the muscles are involved in that particular movement mm-hmm. and also the movement. Because if I just go with the movement, if you do not have a very good proprioceptive feedback, you might end up trying to do the movement, mm-hmm. but you're not exactly engaging the right muscles. Yeah, and, and I given can, how bendy you guys are, yeah, you might end up actually hurting yourself. There's a there's a, a saying or a principle. I, I just made the saying up myself, but a saying that I say with EDS especially and the more extreme ends of hypermobility, if there is a way that we can do a movement wrong, we will find a way. Yeah. Like my body will find a way to do something wrong. The number of times I've had you know high level coaches looking at me and saying like. I don't see why you should be experiencing pain in this movement because it's perfect. And and they're not saying it in a sense of telling me that I'm wrong, but more in the sense of like, this is outside of my realm. The yeah. Ellis Denlos stuff, it, it's, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. Um, and it made me, made me think when you were saying that, like my hip flexors, you know, they're getting tight. So therefore we work on the hip extensors, but I tended to have like, when I was just doing this on my own without your guidance of yeah. knowing the specific, um, movement and muscle to work. Yeah. I remember, like my lower back was getting really jacked up, correct? Because it was taking over the hip extension. Yeah, movement. so we were focusing on extension, which is bending backwards or backwards movement, mm, like a deadlift or a hip hinge, basically. Okay. A few muscles contribute to that. However, we don't want certain muscles to contribute. We want specific muscles or muscle groups mm-hmm. to contribute. And this is why understanding the strength and the force profile of each muscle group and the joint. Mm-hmm. And this is where. If, if the community understands this much, they can take that information to their clinicians and ask for their guidance. Mm. So that means the clinician should be able to clearly identify and explain this is what is weak, this is what needs to be strong in this direction. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is where the muscle and the, the movement comes in handy. A glute can do multiple things. It can do abduction, it can do external rotation, it can do extension. But we mentioned extension in your case. That was the weakness. Mm-hmm. But we also know it was glute that was contributing or the glute muscle group. Yeah, because my adductors were getting really jacked up as well, Correct. taking over the hip extension. Yeah, so yes, we need to understand the muscles, we need to understand the movement. Mm-hmm. And the clinician should be able to explain both of those things to you. Yeah. This is tight because this is weak and we need to strengthen this movement utilizing these muscles. Yeah. I actually really, um, probably not so much these days because my body has been playing up a lot lately, but when it was kind of a little bit more um, working in my favor, I used to really think of these as a blessing every time I had these pains come up or these muscle, quote unquote, muscle tightnesses coming up because it showed me what was weak. And I just remember once getting a rehab protocol, a really effective rehab protocol for my um, glutes and, uh, you know, glute weakness. And I was competing in powerlifting at the time. And I remember my conventional deadlift over about a month or two went from 170 to 190 kilos because the pain was almost like this blessing that sent me the message to say what was weak. I found what was weak, I strengthened it, and my strength just shot through the roof. And that's what I've, I, again, 
lately I've had a bit of stress and my body hasn't really been handling things as well. And it's a bit more frustrating now when it's every single week, there's a problem coming up. But back then when it was less frequent problems, and even now I I know deep down it is the same thing. It's just, it's just hard to handle it a bit sometimes when it's a lot of stuff going on. But um, yeah, I would encourage you if you're listening to this in your strength training, to really see the light in this and to see the benefit in this and see, oh, cool, my body's telling me because we're only as strong as our weakest link. When it comes to big compound lifts, the thing that's the weakest involved in that lift is going to fail first. And if you can get the pain, especially before it turns into an actual injury, if you listen to that and follow that, it's not only going to, yeah, it's going to prevent injury and yeah, it's going to get rid of the pain, but it's also going to make you really perform really well. Yeah. Um, There's a great book called Gift of Injury. Mm. Is that Um, Stuart McGill? uh, That's with, yeah, with Stuart McGill and Brian Carroll. Um, But I just love the phrase. Yeah, because it's okay to get injured every now and then. However, it's not okay to get injured the same thing over and over again, especially if you know the answer. Yeah, it's like fill me once, fill me twice, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, and even not not just not just injury. It's something that I, I educate all of my clients, not just hyperbolic idiots. It's injury and pain. They are just information. Mm-hmm. Do not get. It's hard. But try not to get emotionally attached to them. See them as an objective information. Mm-hmm. It's the information that's going to give you the answer. It's okay to have the pain. It's okay to have the injury because now you have a message. Use that message. Ask the right questions with the help of the right professionals, obviously, and within the community and someone like yourself, and come up with the right solution. Mm-hmm. Because if the pain wasn't there, you don't. It's better to have the pain now than pain later. You know, worse case. Yeah, and I would even argue that, like, let's say you had some kind of weird condition where you couldn't even feel the pain. I would even argue that even if that was the case, you'd be better off feeling the pain because then you can find your weaknesses and strengthen them. Yeah. Like that that example I gave of one seventy to one ninety. Like that's not like I went from a sixty to an eighty kilo deadlift. Like that was top end strength that I added 20 kilos on in a couple of months that it it was just insane. And and what I've found, I don't know if you, you will say the same thing, but with people with hypermobility, we tend to have slightly more extreme muscle imbalances. So what I said before, you're only as strong as your weakest link. We can be like appearing, appear to be quite strong and have extremely weak, weak links. So when we bring those up, we don't realize how much we're being held back by them. And then we yeah. strengthen them and we get just insanely strong. Yeah. And when it comes to hypermobility and Ellis Anderson, the, um, for the clinicians, there's a the principle we, uh, there's a principle called Punjabi's neutral zone. In layman's term, Punjabi's neutral zone is the neutral zone in the spine that is, that doesn't move, right? So think about this as your spine. And this is the only area that's going to move. If it's injured and there's a little bit of a movement, so the neutral zone has decreased. <laughs> Let's apply that to yeah. any other joint. Yeah. When it comes to hypermobility and Ellis downwards, that joint or that that area has increased. So mm. that means there's an extra bit of movement happening. So we're moving more than the neutral zone. More than the neutral within the neutral zone. The, or the neutral zone is decreased. Mm-hmm. So what's gonna happen is what you mentioned or what you feel is the muscle imbalances are a little bit more, more 
prominent because the muscles that are trying to stabilize are working a little bit extra hard mm-hmm. to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. So when the imbalances show up, it's just a little bit more magnified mm-hmm. than let's say non hypermobile and non ps oscillation. Yeah, cool. So there's two more things that I wanted to say, uh, to ask you about. Um, one of them is for clinicians who are listening to this, what can they take away? We need an alternative to stretching. What can they take away? The second thing is kind of related for people with EDS and hypermobility. How can they use this information to um, work with clinicians better? Um, yeah, and I can give my experience with that as well, but I, hearing it from you I think is good as well. So as a, as a clinician, I would say the very first thing is try to is this understand EDS hypermobility. And your best resource is going to be your client and your patient. They are so in tune with their body. They will have all the information available to you as a clinician. Listen to them because mm-hmm. you will see, if you, if you pay attention, you will see the pattern very, very clearly. Mm-hmm. Within that, let's use the context of stretching. If they're presenting with a very specific type of or a specific group of type muscles, let's call it, do the right assessments rather than just blanket stretching approach. Mm. Do the assessments to find out not just something is tight. Why is it tight? Mm. Why is that why is that specific joint being affected? What's happening around it? Don't just look at that particular joint, look around it, look in front of it, look beyond it. Why is it happening? Yeah, I see posture blamed a lot for this, which sometimes definitely is the case. But I feel like with EDS, it's not always posture. Sometimes it can be instability, you know, like I can have whatever posture I want, but because I've got SIJ instability, the muscles sometimes around will get this, you know, perceived tightness no matter what posture I've got. Correct. And here's, here's my view on, okay, actually, let's, let's finish what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> First, then we go into posture, because I have a very strong opinion about the word posture. Um, so, for clinicians, identify why something is happening, and then come up with a solution, and show your clients, educate your clients, that tightness is not a bad thing. Something feeling tight is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And then give them the solution and empower them. Because yep. that's what they're there for. As as clients or the EDS or hypermobile population, it's the same thing. Very first, it's so important because the moment that the feeling of despair, we don't want that to happen. You need to understand if something feels tight, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just your body's doing a great job of stabilizing something. And yes, it it does hurt sometimes. It's not nice. Yeah. Like we're not, we're not minimizing or diminishing that kind of feeling. But in terms of like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's this, oh my goodness, what's wrong with my body? Like these spiraling thoughts of yeah. I'm never going to get out of this. This is something that's wrong yeah. with me. Made worse by clinicians who don't actually help and just give stretches and then you're stuck stretching for the rest of your life and you're doing what you're told and nothing's working, which is a really frustrating feeling. Yeah. And that's what I mean by the feeling of despair, mm-hmm. right? It's, Understand, okay, so yes, it doesn't feel good, and the body's probably only doing 30% of the job. This is where you go to your clinician to get the 70% of the answer. Mm-hmm. But know that your body is doing everything it can to protect you. Mm-hmm. It's not your enemy. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to go back to posture. 
So here's the thing about posture. It's not a it's not a bad word, but I think how the word posture gets used or thrown around can be a little bit either deceiving or it's kind of like an easy way out to explain something. Are you just bad posture? Yeah, it's that classic, I, I don't know, it triggers me a little bit when I hear people say it like, oh, my hip flexors are tight, you know, especially coming from someone with EDS. My hip flexors are tight because I sit down and that causes the tightness. And I'm like, mm, they're probably actually tight because you've got underlying stuff going on. Yeah, and it's-, it's this blaming the person as well right. that I think triggers me about it. Like it's the clinician saying, oh, well, it's your fault for having a job where you sit down. And it's yeah. like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Look, so here's a posture outlet. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you're Annie. Mm-hmm. Inside you have a skeleton. And you have all these muscles and tendons holding it together. I'm going to take all those muscles and tendons away. Mm-hmm. That skeleton is going to collapse because there's something holding it together. So what I'm saying is all those muscles, I'm going back to strength. All these muscles in multiple directions producing all these forces to keep you in the posture that you're sitting. Mm-hmm. There is no right or wrong posture. Generally, every, every rule is an exception. It's just your muscles are producing force in different directions. Sometimes, like we discussed, there's an imbalance. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that we break that imbalance. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah. Posture. It's just, and that is another thing that I work with a lot of fun. We, most of us have office jobs these days. This job, especially since COVID, we do a lot of working from home online jobs. What I give my clients is life strategies. Mm. Instead of saying you should not be sitting down in that posture for that long, I will give them life strategies. Okay, you need to make a living. This is your job. This is what you love doing. This is what you're doing. Fine. It's just like an athlete who like, yes, powerlifting isn't good for certain joints or ballet isn't good for certain joints. But if you want to do that, the physio that you're working with should be saying, okay, this is what you want to do. We're yeah. going to work around it. Same with a job. If your job involves sitting a lot, if this is what you're doing to make money, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I think that's the thing that triggers me so much with when, when I hear people say, oh yeah, I've got, and, and it's just repeated it from what the physio said. Oh yeah, I've got type this because I sit down all day. So I've got to do my stretches every 10 minutes. And it's like, in my head, I'm just going, it's tight, tight because of instability and then you're stretching it every 10 minutes, which means you're giving it more instability every 10 minutes. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And I'll give you a very simple example. Okay. So you're sitting down for a long, long period of time. So that means your hip flexor muscles in a shortened state for a long period of time. Put a band around your knees and just push the knees out and mm-hmm. engage the glutes. So, so again, we're not punishing what is again tight. We are strengthening while we're doing our everyday activity to strengthen, increase the total force profile. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I'll add, I think we covered um, what the clients can do. You covered that, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So I guess one thing I would add onto that and getting your feedback on this as well is it's a very touchy topic and it's a little bit tricky. Um, I So I, I'll just say from my perspective, I have a very high standard of physiotherapy um, and rehab because I've worked with Shunt and um, Andrew Locke, who you guys have very similar yeah. approaches for so many years. And I basically will walk out of both of their sessions, either of their sessions feeling 
like significantly better. I might barely walk in and, and I don't exaggerate when I say that I might barely walk in and then be walking out. I remember one time struggling to walk, coming in deadlifted 160 for eight or something immediately after the session. So I have a very high standard. I need to feel better pretty quickly from a um, rehab session. And if in the first session, my rehab specialist doesn't give me either strengthening exercises or a plan for strengthening exercises, no matter what the joint is, if it's jaw, if it's back, if it's hips, if it's ankle, I will go somewhere else. (laughs) And this this is tricky because I have a lot of people asking me, oh yeah, you know, saying, oh, my physio told me to stretch or my physio said this or whatever rehab specialist they're going to see. It's tricky for me to, I don't want to step on toes and say, go somewhere else, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, let's use another question. Let's say you have a car problem. Mm-hmm. You go to your mechanic. Mm-hmm. If I drive 100 kilometers an hour, I have this knocking sound in my engine. And your mechanic says, why are you driving so fast? Yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> what would you do? Obviously, you don't want to hurt the mechanic's feelings, but also you're not going to really spend your money there. Right. So you want to yeah. go to somebody who's going to pay attention and ask all the questions. Hey, does it happen at this bit? Does it also happen, you know, whatever the questions they're going to ask and find out the solution. Yeah. Also to add on to that analogy, if you've got this rattling in the car and the mechanic says it's X and I've fixed X and then you drive away and it's still rattling yeah. and you go back and they say, well, it's just X. We just need to keep doing X yeah. and it's still rattling every time you drive it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So as as a clinician, we are in the health industry because at this, this is my philosophy is the moment a client or a patient walks in, anything that I do has to have a positive impact on the client's patient's life. Mm-hmm. That's I'm there for. That's why they're there for. Mm-hmm. As a client and a patient, it's well within your rights to accept, sorry, expect a solution. Mm. And solution meaning a solution to the problem that you're coming with, not to be criticized, not to be diminished, not to be undermined. Or to have a new problem come up with. Like if you say, I'm hurting here or this is not feeling good, and then they go and say, oh, well, your problem is this other thing and we're going to fix this other thing that you didn't even know about. Correct. And... Again, it's it's well within your right to say, I came to you with this problem and I expect you to solve this and problem. And I'm paying you money to solve this problem. Exactly. And if the clinician does not know, it's okay to say this is outside of my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. I'll give an example. Ask me anything to do with nutrition. I'll just say hands up. I know nothing about nutrition. I'll, I'll give you a reference to a few people that I know and trust with nutrition, but I'm not trying to fix a nutrition problem. Or for me, I tell people, go talk to Shan. I don't know <laughs> if there's it's, something it's, of, of, outside not, of my knowledge. This is something I do not, I do not understand. Or, or I know a little bit about, but I'm not an expert on, and I can't guarantee your results, and I don't want to take your money if I'm yeah. not going to give you results. So it's okay for the clinicians to say, this is a little bit outside of my area of expertise. Let me find out if I can help you. And it's okay for the client or the patient to ask, do you understand, do you have experience? I think that's a big one. That's a really big one is actually saying to them, you know, have you had experience with hypermobility? See what their reaction is. Because that's the other question I get is, because I'm I'm big on the the practitioner that you see, whether it's a doctor, physio, um, 
whatever they are, coach, they need to be solutions focused because solutions focused says that whatever you came in here for, you've got a problem. I'm going to fix that. I'm not going to go off on a tangent. I'm not going to do some random other thing that you don't care about. I'm here to give you a solution to what you want. And I'm not going to tell you to not do the things you love because I'm here to problem solve. And then the question that I get is how do we know if they're solutions focused or not, which is a tricky one. Um, I usually ask them some questions or I'll sort of see what they say. And sometimes I won't, I'm, I'm educated though, and I'm experienced. Yes. So it's very hard for me to, yeah. And I think education is very important. And mm. that's the whole point of doing this. Mm. So the community as a whole is a little bit more educated. So when they go to the, to the clinician, they kind of have a bit of an understanding. Of, yeah, of knowledge is baseline power. Baseline understanding, yeah, absolutely. A baseline understanding. Okay, this is what I'm in for. Mm-hmm. And I expect at least this as a baseline. Yeah. So education, knowledge is super important and we are trying to spread as much of this knowledge as possible. The second thing I would say, if you're feeling something, sometimes when it comes to EDS and hypermobility, the problem is not a weakness. Mm. You may feel a little bit better. It, it, cannot, it does not feel like a miracle. Like sometimes we have done sessions where you feel like, yep, it's everything's perfect. Sometimes it's taking a couple of weeks to mm, and working to with to. you as well, like trying it and saying, actually, that sucks. What we that that exercise yeah. sucks. It doesn't feel good. Let's do something else. Yeah, but if as a client and as or as a patient, you're going in and the, the clinicians giving you a very clear example, they're listening to you, mm-hmm. they're paying attention to you, they can answer your questions, they can answer your questions, and they are saying back the things that you came in with. I remember everything a client comes in with. If they say yeah. to me about they want to walk with their with groceries in their hand, I will go find a dumbbell and carry it as a test to see what I have done is has worked. Yeah. Not just, yep, it, this is this is what it is, this is this should have worked. Go away. If it doesn't work, just blame the person. Yeah. I, I was gonna say that actually blame is a big thing. Bl- big red flag. Blaming the person blaming what you're doing like there will be times where you might say to me you know when we're doing our my bodybuilding prep you were saying to me look the reason that your back is hurting is because you're wearing heels and you're arching your back and you're sucking your stomach in all the things that trigger your back we're doing them all at once and and it's it's acknowledging but it was never blaming it was like but I know you want to do this I know this is important to you so let's find a way so I think blaming is one of the biggest red flags that we could find with with looking for a good practitioner Yeah. yeah awesome so is there anything, just thinking about wrapping this one up, is there anything that you would add to this discussion that we haven't brought up already? I think when it comes to like, going back to the point about stretching, um, I will touch this loosely. Don't be disheartened. What has worked stops working. Mm, yeah, we should mention that. Yeah. yeah. So if you feel like, again, I'm going to go with the bicep and tricep, you've gone to a really good position. So your biceps are really tight. Okay. And then it feels amazing after you have done the session. All of a sudden, your triceps starts to feel tight after a couple of months. That's a very common pattern within the hypermobile and media community. Because of the laxity of the joint, like I said, the body of the brain is in a constant state of adaptation. Mm. So it's constantly trying to adapt to the, for, the, for a solution. So if, if you get good at this, there might be another instability that creeps up in the other direction because you get so strong in that direction then all of a sudden the imbalance becomes prominent in the opposite direction. 
Yeah. This is where you need to keep topping up your activations or your exercise. Yeah. And I would almost say that this is almost quite unique to a successful approach with hypermobility. Like if I'm thinking back to, you know, years ago, because I've been seeing physios for since I could walk. Um, some of the early experiences I had where it was just very stretching based, this never really was the case. I never really noticed that all of a sudden the rehab stuff started hurting. Whereas it seems like when we're actually on the money and we're doing the right exercises and really strengthening and stabilizing, it'll feel good for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden your rehab exercises start hurting. That's actually a sign that you've done so well at the rehab. And it's a sign to take to, to re- go back to the drawing board and reassess. And this is one that we like to bring up as much as possible because it feels like from the client's perspective that the clinician has failed you. Um, and it also feels like that same, you know, doom feeling of, oh man, my nothing works, everything, everything yeah. sucks, nothing works. This is just the process. It's just how it is. Every, what is it, six weeks or two months I come to see you and I say, yeah. hey, this exercise is, hey, we're back here again. This has stopped working now. What's yeah. next? Yeah, just like my, you know, my client today. Yeah. Like, it's going to be right under this one again. Yeah, he's like, see you next time. See you in six or six or eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. I think that's a really good thing to add on and probably a good thing to finish on as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thank so, you so much, Shan, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for having me.